I am going to pray us in, and then we will just get going on Marks 9 and 10. You can go ahead and turn to Marks 9 and 10 if you want to. Um, But pray with me. Lord Jesus, it is an honor uh, to be with your people. God, it is an honor to uh, speak your truths and to be transformed by them. I ask you that you would help us see your word for what it is. That is how we, um, it's how we see you, God. It's how we come to you. It's how we know who you are. Um, God, I ask that uh, the narratives would come alive to all of us today and that we would take something away from it and it would be transformative. God, we love you. Um, we are glad to be being discipled by you and by your people. And uh, we pray for your presence. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so my intro thought today is kind of a weird one, so follow me for a second. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of cool. We were actually just talking about uh, Edmund Dante, okay? So this has nothing to do with what I was going, but might as well use it because the Lord provides. Um, I've always been attracted to the, uh, the brooding character in fiction and movies. Um, my sister can definitely attest to that. I leave movies like The Count of Monte Cristo or Phantom of the Opera, um, all stuff like that, and I'm just like angsty, just super angsty. It really gets to me. Um, I don't know why. Um, I'm sick. Okay, pray for me. Um, But one of the things that I really, really like um, in this kind of angstiness is tragedy. Okay, once again, I'm sick. Tragedy. Um, But tragedy is kind of cool in one sense. Okay, here's, here's a highbrow thing, okay? Aristotle, you got to get your pipe out, okay? <laughs> Aristotle says that tragedy is the highest form of art. Pretty cool, huh? You can keep that if you want, it doesn't matter. But uh, tragedy, the cool thing about tragedy, okay, is that it portrays a person who is larger than life, and then for some reason, either it's fate or it's... Uh, one of their, um, like, people collaborating against them, or if it's really, really good tragedy, it's their own, like, internal virtues, um, something causes their own downfall, okay? Um, you can think Greek plays, like Oedipus Rex. I'm not going to get more into that because there's some weird stuff there. Um, you can think Shakespearean. You can think American, Death of a Salesman. Something happens to cause um, the downfall of a person, um, one of my favorite ones, I'm not going to stick too long on it, just give you an idea of where we're going, is Macbeth. Okay? Personally, I like Hamlet more um, because, like I said, angsty. I'm an angsty guy. Um, but Macbeth is really cool. Okay? Just want to tell you a little bit of the story. Um, there's this Scottish prince who is um, he's this really ambitious guy, um, but for him, ambition is good, at least at the first part. Um, he's making his way up, he's just kicking butt. I think it opens up with him like chopping a dude in half, it's nuts, okay? And then there's this prophecy by witches, okay, you can take that for what it is. It's where the the famous part, double trouble, toil and bubble, whatever, comes from that. That's another highbrow, you can use that some other time. Um, But yeah, he, he gives his prophecy about being king. And instead of being like David, so David has this prophecy about being king, and he's like, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to let Saul die, let God judge Saul. He's like, no, I'm going to kill that guy, and I'm going to take the throne. 
okay? And he does it, and then his ambition, this, 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 this virtue of going out and seeking and taking, becomes his own downfall. And, spoiler alert, it's been 500 years, everyone dies. Okay, it's a tragedy. It's what happens in tragedy. The question that I want us wrestling with today, you can remember Macbeth or not, is this idea of how does something that is good and virtuous, objectively good, not just your opinion, how is something that is good become unquestionably bad for you? Okay? How does something, I'll say it again, how does something that is objectively good, not just your opinion, like something like kindness, okay? How does something that is objectively good become unquestionably bad for you? That's our topic for today. Um, so you know, for those of you guys that have been here, we have, the way we do these Mark studies is we walk through two chapters of Mark, okay? We do a quick survey and we talk about key highlights. Here's some themes. Here's some repetitions. Here's what's going on. Here's what Mark's trying to do. Maybe some irony. Um, I actually want you guys to help me with this portion today. So you're going to put on your, your speaking caps. Okay. I want you to starting. Here's a little hint. I'm, I'm helping you here. I gave you that sheet in front of you. We're in the middle section. Starting with verse... 8.31 and all the way to the end of chapter 10. I want you in whichever groups that you're in to skim, okay, not, not read. We're not going to go, we're not going to take time to read two chapters, but I want you to skim over these parts and you're looking for um, headings, you're looking for repeated words, for themes, and I'm going to give you about five to seven minutes to do that and then we're going to come back together. You guys got it? Cool. Take five to seven minutes and skim through 831 through chapter 10. End of chapter 10. All right. I want to hear... I know, I, I told myself, I just want to... If we have a marker board, why not write? What were some things that as you were... Uh, Walking through it, um, that you saw maybe some ironic moments, if you if you got to those, um, some repetitions. It could even be heading, or some stuff. What you got? Uh, death, burial, resurrection. Three times. Three times. Okay, so we have three announcements. Awesome. What else? Themes, irony, uh, words, any sort of thing that you're saying, I think Mark is trying to do this in this section. The request of James and John. Okay, what about it? So you're saying, how are you fitting that into... Uh, I'm saying it's there. It's there. Okay, yeah. Okay. Disciples, ambition, I like you're putting back to right there. Awesome. What else? What are some other stuff we saw? 
Okay. Uh, like he foretells his resurrection a lot and how he like restored the boy with the unclean spirit. Okay. Um, yeah, so <laughs> restorations there somehow, at least with the, the children. I'll put it on. I like it. In the back, you guys see anything? No shame here, okay? Just looking for... So self-sacrifice. Uh, you have pick up a cross at the end of eight. And then you have Jesus being a ten. Describing, you know, the son of man not coming to serve, but to be served. Not to be served, but to serve. You have the opposite. And to give his life as a ransom. Yeah. That's like one of the mottos of Ozark, and I always say it wrong, without fail. Without fail. Sorry, what? I I can't hear that last last word. Yeah, risen. Like it, yeah. So there's like these three predictions, and then there's also like, and then after he's going to where's it at? Die and rise. Anything else? Okay. Yes. 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 We're gonna get to that. That's one of my. Okay, I'm, you're getting ahead. Of, you're getting ahead of me right now. Good job. That's one of my favorite. Not necessarily a favorite, but that's my most quoted passages of scripture. Yes. Micah. I was gonna say kind of along the same lines, but more specifically, like with the disciples. He's trying to teach them and show them things, and their like their lack of faith and realization of who he is and his power. Yes. So they they kind of like uh, almost like a continuation of last week. They thought something, and then Jesus said, "Actually, it's going to be like this," especially with those predictions. So I'm gonna just gonna do what we normally do. And I'm going to highlight, um, it's better if you have the NIV, I mean, not better, it's easier if you have the NIV. Um, I actually didn't look at the ESV, but it gives you headings. Jesus predicts his death, and then it follows a kind of rebuke, you guys caught that, of what the disciples thought. And then some teaching, a restoration, and then another one right here in verse uh, 933, another prediction some teaching, a rebuke, some teaching, and then once again in chapter 10. I'm just going to start walking through it. You guys caught a lot of them, so let's follow along. Um, I don't want to get too much into last week, but uh, Alex was talking about how in the, uh, the paper in front of you shows um, all of Mark was saying, this was trying to answer this one question, who is Jesus? Okay, who is this man that walks on water? Who is this man that heals people by accident? Who is this man? And then the disciple, the Bible project says this part, okay, right before 11. So we have those narratives, our section, and then entering into Jerusalem with the passion narrative. This section is Jesus outlining what his messiahship looks like and also discipleship. This is heavy, heavy, heavy on discipleship. And you see that right here. So, predicts his death. And then Peter rebukes him. And then he's like, what the heck, Peter? 
Shut up. He rebukes Peter. And then I want you to point out this one verse. Uh, verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life, in describing um, discipleship, the true discipleship that follows Jesus, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Okay? We're going to come back to that. What good is it if you have everything but you miss the one thing? You forfeit your soul. And then we have the transfiguration coming up. Um, it says, after six days, that's kind of, that's a subtle allusion to Moses. After six days of consecrating the Israelites, he goes up onto the mountaintop, he brings his core followers, and he shows them God's glory. Okay, we've been talking about Exodus all through the place. Uh, Drew was actually mentioning the Exodus allusion back when he says he's a shepherd, like the one that comes from Moses, that Moses promised. This is pretty explicit in several ways. I mean, one... It says, it showed his glory. And then the voice of God, the second time the voice of God comes out in Mark, says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Okay, pretty explicit. Um, I mentioned Exodus. I think the, uh, the allusions get a little closer. I'm going to try and prove a point to you here. Um, Moses shows up. Okay? I feel like that's pretty, you can't really nod much more to Exodus than Moses showing up again. Um, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, pointing to Jesus, testifying to who he is. <laughs> and literally, it's actually not in Mark, but I want to say it. Um, I think it's in Luke. Um, it says, Moses and Elijah showed up and they talked to him about his exodus. Like it literally says exodus in the, in the, in the verses. Okay, So that's pretty clear what Mark is trying to do. Um, then right after he goes down the mountain... And his disciples were trying to heal a person, um, heal a boy. And this is actually, I believe this is only in Mark, where this, uh, this dialogue that Connor pointed out earlier, um, the, the father says, can you heal him? And he actually says, if you can heal him, like, will you help? And Jesus is like, if, what do you mean if? All things are possible to those who believe. And then this beautiful passage that I quote all the time is, I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. All the time, all kinds of prayers of mine have been going through that. And I know that, that sometimes you're going to have to pray the same thing, especially going through college with all kinds of crises, all kinds of uh, expectations that you thought were going to go one way and they didn't. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And apparently, it works. Jesus takes it. I love it. Then Jesus goes and predicts his death a second time. And then right after that, it's one of those ironic moments. Okay, uh, look at verse uh, 33. He's like, I'm going to die. And he says, oh, by the way, um, what were you talking about when you're on the road? And it says, they kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. They're like, ah, crap. He heard us. Okay. And then he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. If you want to be greatest, you must take the objectively humble position. Greatness in the kingdom of God looks like objectively humble on earth, serving others. And then he takes a child and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. 
Whoever welcomes me welcomes God. Okay, so this is actually another theme that comes up, the children and Jesus. Um, I just want to point out that um, while I don't think, like, Jesus is using children here, I don't think, like, it, it means literally children. Why do I say that? If you want to look down um, to 42, he says, If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, i.e., those who believe in me. Okay? So when Jesus is using children, he's saying, those who are, follow my name, those who call themselves Christians and walk true discipleship. Um, the passage after that, John is basically like, who actually, who do we consider a disciple and who do we not? And he's like, kind of gets a little Sith on them. He says, anyone that's for us, it's not, a, or, how does he say it? Let me just read it for you. For whoever is against us, whoever is not against us is for us. Okay, basically whoever's, whoever at least tries to act like they're on the side of Christ is ones that you should treat as they're Christian. So that's, deci- that's defining who is and who is not Christian. And then it gets into this crazy, um, there's, these really, there's these two very large warnings that I'm just going to read for you, okay? Talking about children, talking about you as Christians, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, those who believe in me, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Wow. So this passage is on true discipleship, and Jesus basically says, maybe hyperbole, I don't feel like this one actually is hyperbole, Um, it would be better for you than to cause someone who follows Jesus, it's better for you to die. He, He says that. It's better for you to die than for you to lead someone away from Christ. To cause someone to sin, to cause someone to fall away into unrighteousness. It's a pretty heavy statement. Two things go from that. One, if, if I were you, and I hear statements like that, I would, first of all, be comforted. Because God cares so deeply about your discipleship, on how you're growing, and how you're maturing, that he'll say stuff like this that's going to get him in, into trouble in our generation. We really value acceptance and tolerance. Saying something like that's going to get us into trouble. The other thing it says to you is that you should be a little, a little fearful when it comes to this kind of thing. Okay? And then he moves on to a statement right here. We're also going to use this later on. If your hand causes you to stumble, to sin... Cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than it is to, uh, what does he say? Than to have two hands and go into hell. Okay, I just want to point this out. One, I don't think that's actual, like, like literal. Um, the church, there's church history moments where they, they tried that. You can go Wikipedia, Oregon if you want. I'm not going to get into it. You can Wikipedia that. Okay, but the point is this. It's kind of, it's pretty straightforward, pretty logical. It is better for you to lose things that are entitled to you. If there's anything you're entitled to, it's your, your body. Okay? It is better for you to sacrifice what you have for you to enter into the kingdom, to enter into life, than for the opposite. Better for you to do that and, and, and then die. Okay? We're going to come back to that one later.
Then he talks about divorce, what man has uh, put together, let no, what God has put together, let no man separate. Then I want you to just completely ignore the next two paragraphs. Don't even look at them, okay? Don't look at them. We're going to get to those later. And then he goes to his third prediction. He says, they were on, so in his third prediction, he goes over the top here, okay? He says, not only am I going to die, the chief priests are going to be the ones that hand me over to the Gentiles, and they're going to completely shame me, okay? They're going to mock me, they're going to spit on me, flog me, and kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise. And then once again, irony, right after this, right after he says, I'm going to be completely shamed, he says, James and John comes to them and they ask, we want to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like right after, like, I, I, I don't know what Jesus would have done in those moments. I don't know what I would have done. What Jesus does, instead of rebuke him like he rebukes Peter, he actually just, he, he just tells them, he corrects them. He says, you, are actually, you actually are going to drink the cup that I drink, but it's not going to look like what you think it is. Once again, he says, verse 44, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. And then we have 1045. This is one of the big verses in Mark. So if there's verses to remember, for, to memorize from Mark, it's verse, chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Even Jesus did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another beautiful passage in Scripture, okay? 10.45 is one of the ones you need to remember. If you want to remember, another key passage of Philipp- is Philippians 2. It's the Christ hymn. Paul says, Have this mindset among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, because he was God, since he was God, in the very fact that he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Kind of like Adam reached out and grasped something that wasn't his. It was Jesus's. But he said he did not consider that something to be grasped, but rather he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient even to the very point of death. 1045. What is true discipleship? It is objectively humbling yourself for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? That's our survey. And now I want to get into our passage today. But before we do that, I'm going to I want to prep you guys with a question. So I'm going to I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to put you guys back into your discussion groups and you're going to talk about um, some things that are going on in that. So we're about to read the rich in the kingdom of God. A lot of you have heard the story before. I want you to ask two things and talk about those for five or so minutes, okay? I want you to ask, why? Why did this man act the way he did? Pretty straightforward, okay? It's riches, by the way, but I want you to think through, like, why? What in that situation caused him to act the way he did? And the second thing that I want you to talk about after I read this, I'll remind you afterwards, is what does that 
whatever the reason of why he did then, how does that update to our day? So why did he act the way he did, and what does that look like for us? Okay, if it's riches, you can say riches. I mean, I feel like riches would be a pretty safe bet. But like, like give me a little more specifics. Like, as college students in Stillwater, what does that translate to now? You guys got it? Okay. This is our text for today. Before we get into the text, I just want to remind you one more time. Okay? We've had statements as, what does it gain a man if he gets everything but loses his soul? We've said, the children, it's better to receive... Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, he said, children, welcoming the children in his name. He brings up children one more time. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never have it. Okay? Children, objectively humble in their day. Okay? A child walks into the room. There's no special, like, treatment. They don't get, no one's impressed. They get what they're given. Okay? That's what's said, and then moves right into this passage. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. Uh, don't murder, um, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud, don't honor your father and mother. He's like, you know what it, you know what it means, obey God. That's what it, you want to inherit eternal life. And then it gets interesting, okay? Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Okay? We've had people trying to trap Jesus. We've had hypocrisy. I don't think that's any of it. I think this man is being genuine. He's genuinely kept these in some way. And the reason I think he's being genuine is what Jesus does. Verse 21, only in Mark, by the way. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's not a trap. It's not a hypocrite. This guy's a genuinely good, a good man, at least outside. Okay, Rich man, good man. Jesus looks at him, loves him, and says, One thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Discipleship call. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. His entire life, good man, misses the call to discipleship. Tragedy. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at this. They thought the rich were favored by God. But Jesus said again, Children, children, once again, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a literal camel to pass through the literal eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. 
Why did the man act the way he did, who lived his entire life the way he was supposed to, except missed one moment that called the discipleship? And what does that look like for us? I'll give you guys about five minutes. I am very curious to hear what your reflections are on this text. So, why? Like, why do we think that guy did what he did, and how do we update it? Whichever one you want to go first. I'll let you decide. Let's just start with why. Let's, let's just start with why. I'll, I'll simplify. Um, kind of wanted the recognition or the confirmation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So are you saying like he wanted the social status that came with riches or he wanted like almost like justification yeah, from Jesus? Yeah, like desperate justification. Okay. Because like this guy, this man came up running to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting take. In that sense, it's almost like he's asking, but he's looking for more for a pat on the back. Yeah. Okay? Interesting. I don't know if that's his motive. I mean, it doesn't tell us what his motive is, but I know I do that all the time. You know? We discussed, like, uh, especially since he's had such an early age, the whole wealth and riches have just become part of his identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting because that's almost like you're almost like contrasting that to what uh, Jesus said about the the hands thing. You know, he it's like he made something that wasn't even entitled to be him part of his identity. Okay. Interesting thought. Interesting thought. Kind of jumping off of that, we were talking about like idolatry, and it kind of seems like this was his blind spot. Hmm. Like. I may be wrong, but I was kind of thinking about, like, the story with the Samaritan woman where Jesus, like, immediately cuts through, like, the, like, the stuff around, like, the central issue and just immediately goes for, like, I know what's actually the issue in your heart. Okay. And, like, it may have been that he didn't even realize that, like, his possessions Hmm. was, like, a problem until Jesus, like, cut through it and said, I want you to give everything up and follow me. And I... I don't know. But I also agree with what Alyssa said, too. No, that's good. Let me be some kind of identity, just like, hey, you think you're good, but really, like, proof, exhibit A, you know? By the way, I don't think Jesus calls everyone to give up everything, so that's not not the the punch of this lesson. But I don't want to take away the punch. Like, that's still there, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay? What else? Do we have anything else on the why? Any final thoughts? Okay, what about updating? How does this, whatever reason you came up with for this riches, something, okay, I don't want to allegorize and add things that aren't there, but when it boils down to it, there's something there that stops true discipleship in his life, and it's a tragedy, okay, all his life following God, and yet he doesn't, the one moment counts. Okay, how does it update? Go ahead. That's the one thing that, that a lot of Paul students can get behind, but where it's like, a lot of us are broken. That's bad. Yeah. 
By, by the way, by the way, sorry. I, it kind of feels like ironic in the sense that like I'm talking to college students in this, but I, I, so at some sense it's like, hey, what do you mean I have money? I'm literally like right there in the kingdom, okay? No, I mean, yes, no, whatever. I get it. Go ahead, keep going. Okay. What we put our time in is what we value the most. So while it might not be money, you're saying that there's just other things that are basically the same thing, rich in different ways. Okay. I like it. Jared. Yes. Uh, I've been trying to think about how exactly to like, word this, but I think romantic relationships. Okay. Like as college students. Not like in like a sense of like, no, I'm just going to, no. Go for I'm it, not gonna justify myself. Go for uh, it. <laughs> Don't be the rich man trying to justify himself. I think there's this like, almost this entitlement, especially weirdly like in Christian circles, yeah. as college students, that I am entitled to be in a relationship. Yeah. And if I'm not in a relationship, then I am like not, it's like an identity thing. Yeah. Like I am less of a person and less of a Christian if I'm not in a relationship. Yeah. No, see, what I really like about that, I mean, one, it's, it's an interesting take, one that I didn't think of. But what I really like about that is, hear what he said. He said, there's something that we view in life that is success. Okay? This is what it means to be, like, achieving and objectively respected. So the opposite of the child. You know, the opposite of, of the children that Jesus is talking about. But what does it mean to be successful? And Jared is saying that some part of that, whether it might be time or money or whatever, is relationships. So I really appreciate that. No. Anything else? Any other ways that we saw that were kind of updating this language to our setting? Like, how hard it is for a rich person 
sent to the kingdom of God, but, like, also just someone who has riches of any kind, like, whether it's your relationship status or your, like, economic status or, like, how you grew up, like, whatever riches, like, that makes it hard to mm-hmm. No, I love that. I think that's very profound, what you're saying. Um, like, if you look at the story, like what she just said, the man knew something's missing, you know? Like, it, it, even if he's just looking for a pat on the back, like he knew something's missing, enough for him to run and fall down on his knees and say, help me, okay? He gets the answer and still doesn't do it. Tragic. How does something, and you can fill in the blank here, okay? How is something that is objectively good in our mind, or at least, sorry, that's kind of a contradiction, objectively good, how does that become unquestionably bad? Because in this moment it does. If you remember, uh, I, I, I want to rewind a little bit into two sections in Mark. We've already said the first one. What does it gain a man if he has everything? but loses his soul. Okay? We just saw that played out in Mark. The second thing we just saw played out was the parable in Mark 4. Okay, you remember a man goes out to sow seed. He sows the word. And then some accepts it and grows um, quickly, but it dies out because it has no root. Um, I believe this is playing out of the thorny soil a little bit. The seed is sown... And yet, on the ground, on the heart of the man, there's something there that had no place being there. And for him, it was the love of money. Now, if you remember back then, here's where I have to be really careful with my, my statements to make sure I'm saying what Scripture is saying. I said something along the lines of, these are good things, these are good things, but you can't make them the thing. And we talked about that a little bit, making it our identity. You can't make it your identity. I don't actually think that's what Jesus is saying here. And you can say hyperbole if you want. I'm just going to let you say, see what the scripture says. Jesus says, riches in themselves, the more you are seeking them, the more you are trying to obtain it, the more exponentially harder it is that you're making it for discipleship, for true discipleship to occur in your life. You can fit in other things there, but that's what Jesus is saying. The more you're seeking riches, monetary wealth, maybe the status that comes with it, maybe identity, whatever, the harder it is for you to fulfill the one thing that you're called to do, and that's to come and follow Jesus. How is something that is unquestionably good, sorry, objectively good, become unquestionably bad? Either A, if it gets in the way of something else that's unquestionably better, you know, like discipleship. Or B, and here's, this is the case, and you could say A is the case, but also B, if it isn't as good as we thought it was. I think there's a lot of things that if you reflect on, I don't think they're as good as we thought it was, as we thought they were. And you can go experiment and go and gain them all, but what do you lose in the process? I want to end our time together with this last section. So if you want to look at 10, 41, 46 and on, okay? There is a blind man on the way to Jericho. 
and Jesus is walking. He's just about to enter into Jerusalem. Okay? This blind man, he hears Jesus is coming, and he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. First time that title comes up, I'm sure it's important. We're just going to move right over it. Many told him to shut up, and he kept yelling, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said to him, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And then listen to this, verse 50. Throwing his cloak aside, a beggar, a blind beggar, has nothing. The one thing he does have, maybe his only chance to stay alive during the night, is his cloak. Throws it aside. Jumps to his feet, came to Jesus. Jesus heals him. He says, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We just saw an objectively respected, a man who's got it, who's successful. He did not heed the call of discipleship. And this man who has nothing, he did. I don't want, none of us want you to be beggars in life. I don't think that's the good interpretation from this. But at the end of the day, we hope that day by day, you're, the way you practice, the way you live your life, the things that you're seeking after, reveal a heart that is more like the blind man on the side of the road and is more like a child that knows he has nothing and receives the kingdom of God than someone who is respected by everyone else and misses his one calling. That's what we want for you here. I, we're done. I want to end with just two minutes of silence, okay? And as we have silence, and I'm going to pray it out at the end of those two minutes, I want you to think through this lesson, okay? The rich man wanting eternal life but missing it because of the stuff that he was seeking after, the stuff he had. And the others are entering into it, into true discipleship. What does that look like for you? True discipleship. Have you made sacrifices? Or are you fostering the kind of heart that is going to make sacrifices? Two minutes, and then I'll pray us out.
Lord Jesus, become more relevant to our lives. We ask you in faith that you would lead us down what it means to truly follow you and that we would heed the call that Mark shows us in the gospel. The call to follow you with everything. I don't know what you're calling us to do, God. I don't know what maybe sacrifices that are needed to be made. But Jesus, I ask you for the power in our lives to see you for who you are, but to sacrifice for your sake and for the sake of the kingdom and for the gospel is no sacrifice at all. God, creating us the kinds of hearts that believe that. God, our lives are tragedies. In the end, if we deny you, if we take the things that you've given us as gifts and as grace and we make them a part of who we are or we make them our only treasure, Lord, I pray that whatever we are treasuring in your place would lose its luster and that you would give us the ability to lay it down and seek your kingdom and seek your mission on earth with all that we are. We love you, Lord. We are so grateful for what you've done and for what you're doing. It's in your name I pray. Amen.